0: Welcome to Punchboard Paradise, coming to you from the heartland of America in Omaha, Nebraska, where we discuss the world of tabletop gaming, the topics that affect the board game community, and give honest and fair reviews of the industry's hottest games. In episode 57, the Punchboarders talk about recent plays, head on over for a Kickstarter corner, and then review 18 Chesapeake. Hey everybody, I'm Clef. Hey, I'm Chad. And I'm Richie. So you know how we've been talking about le- new podcasts, or you know different podcasts, or whatever. Somebody asked that question not too long ago, and I right. was like, I don't really listen to anything. Yeah. Well, I have found a podcast that I'm loving, okay? I could not remember what you guys said for those history ones that you said you liked or whatever. I, I just didn't remember at the time. So I just went, and I found, um, it's, I'm pretty sure it's just a generic one, but it's called History This Week. And they're about a half hour long, and it's just, they just pick a topic, and, you know, this week, and they'll go back, like, say, go back to 1830 when the uh, Johnstown flood, Um, you know, and they'll talk all about that, or they'll go back and do, um, like, the flight, the first flight uh, around the world back in uh, 1924, you know, so, and it's just cool little things and uh the person just you know will, will kind of give information they'll usually have like an interview that they'll take little snippets out of and they'll just kind of um you know uh, paraphrase and everything that what they're talking about but i've been loving them i mean i've probably listened to 15 of them i've definitely never listened to our podcast again i'll tell you that <laughs> well <laughs> so <cool. laughs> you're telling me though that's going to help my trivial pursuit score then oh well how would it help your
1: trivial pursuit score I don't know if I listen to it.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> not you listening to it. I thought me listening oh to it would your so, present. Uh, all the are. shows is not only
2: does he not listen to our podcast, he does not listen to us while he's making the podcast. Right, <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> Just thinking about the next game to play. What are you going yeah. to have <laughs> <laughs> oh. Speaking- <laughs> oh,
1: I-, I will say though, on on that same topic, uh, for whatever reason, and I have to say, I am enjoying uh, Rado and Tom Vassell as a pair together in this whole thing. Like it is really funny to to listen to those two personalities. You know how Rado's really you know, kind of loud and and a motor mouth bless him. I, I love Rotto. Don't don't get me wrong. But you know, and he just sort of talks over Tom and Tom lets him a little bit and then it's just funny to listen to. But anyway, my point is uh, he they were talking about podcasts that they liked and he got me onto one. I think it's called well it is called Business Wars. And it's all about different businesses going at each other. Like one was about Netflix and Blockbuster and how that went. And like, the- ooh, who won that one? We'll- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Blockbuster. I didn't know this. Blockbuster at one time could have acquired Netflix. So, uh huh. Yeah. Yep. That's it's a true. Yep, yep. Really interesting. Anyway, I, I guess it's neither here nor there. But it, it just it made me think of that, and it's it's a good new podcast I'm into too. So,
0: so that one would help my trivial pursuit score. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Uh, should we talk about board games? Yeah, let's do that. I don't know. All right. Richie, what have you been playing lately?
2: I've been playing How Do You Take Apart This Deck Lately. Quite a bit.
0: <laughs> Ooh, that doesn't sound like a very fun game. No, it's not fun at all. <laughs> not fun at all. I like that Richie always
1: has this. You know, like nobody expects us to play that game because Clef's game is how do, how do I open the hood of my car? <laughs> hey, hey.
2: Clef plays the how do I avoid outside. You yes, <laughs> that
0: is my... That that big yellow thing up out there, I don't like it at all.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, neither do I. And, yeah. and people keep asking me questions about this the the paper patio, and I'm like, look, I just work here. I, I don't. That's right. I, I'm not involved in the planning of this thing. Go, go talk to my wife, please. <laughs> uh, but we did sneak in a game, uh, an older game. I've been playing a lot of older games lately. We did sneak in a play of the world of smog on Her Majesty's service, which is an older CMON game, kind of back when they didn't just do you know the dudes on the map dungeon crawl type game Uh, this is kind of a puzzly game which where you're trying at the very beginning of the game you get a, a secret location where you'll exit the board and you also get a secret combination of they call them ethers but i mean it's basically just resources that you're collecting the whole goal of the game is you have to collect those resources get to your spot and then exit the they call it the shadow market on your turn Uh, And this the board is actually really cool. It's a board that has like a bunch of gears. There's like eight or nine gears out on the board. And depending on what side of the board that you're sitting on, the prices of the different ethers will change depending on what price is facing you. And also like there's barriers out on the board that make it hard to move. Uh, There's different agents that will come out onto the board. But the whole game you are kind of jumping around. You get three actions per turn. Uh, unless you have the Shadow Master, which I'll explain that here in a second. Uh, but you get three actions per turn. Then there's income phase. You go to the next round. You, you keep doing that, and you are moving around trying to buy the different ethers that you need to leave the market. At the same time, you can pick up these power cards, which let you do you know annoying things like flip the board completely. So, which is if someone's about to leave and you completely turn the board. Because now their perspective is different. So now the where they need to leave from is completely different. So they need to get over to the other spot. Or there'll be cards where we'll give you money, different things like that. But you're also trying to, there's a, a figure in there called the Shadow Master, which if you have him, you get four actions per turn. It allows you to control the different agents that come onto the board, which are essentially depending on what agent it is. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. Depending on what tile they're on, They'll have some type of effect, either negative or positive. Like some of them, you can't spend money on their tile. Other ones, you it will double the, the amount of money if you sell something on their tile. But the negative part of having the Shadow Master is that he takes your income. So at the beginning of a round, you get a coin. He gets that coin and it goes into a, a little bank uh, on your player mat. And at any, at any time on someone's turn, they can try to outbid you for the Shadow Master, or for control of the Shadow Master. But that just keeps building up as you go. So it gets more and more expensive and money is tight in this game to get that Shadow Master. Eventually it will reset, but it, it may come a point where <laughs> you really, you want to get rid of them because you need the money to get the things that you need to get. Uh, but if it's up to like four or five coins, then you're, you're kind of screwed. You're kind of stuck with them. Uh, it's super puzzly. It's one of Jessica's favorite games. I don't mind it. it. It's fine. It's a, it's a fun game. It's, it only takes like 45 minutes to an hour to play. But like I said, the power cards can be kind of fun, and there's a little bit of, you know, take that in the cards. Uh, but if you haven't checked it out, it's I would definitely recommend trying it, especially if you like those puzzly games and i mean if you just it's a beautiful production it's an absolutely beautiful production and like i said a really cool board
1: does jessica like to take that nature or she likes the puzzliness does she like being able to rotate the board right as you're going to get out of the the place with the ethers
2: she likes the puzzliness so like yeah because i mean on your turn obviously you're trying to get the stuff that you're trying to to get but you're you can also i mean obviously you can see what the market values are for the other person so you're trying to get the stuff that you are trying to get and also try to make it harder for the other person
0: how, how old is this game i never never heard of
2: it uh, i came out in 2015 they kickstarted it. it was a smaller kickstarter it was when they, they were definitely still cool mini or not at the time and i think this was before blood rage and all hmm. those other games that kind of blew them up
0: so, hmm. would, would I like this, or to be too swingy for me with all the cards?
2: It might be a little too swingy for you. I think it it it'd probably also be too light for you. Your your wife might like it, possibly.
0: Yeah, I don't care about her, but so you're. <laughs> I wouldn't like it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I don't right. think you would like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's uh, what is the title of that game again?
2: It is the World of Smog on Her Majesty's Service. Wow, wow that's a mouthful. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like the the uh, pandemic has still been influencing your plays because of what you have time for and that you're playing with family and that's the same situation with me basically we have time for we played some clank legacy but we have time for shorter games you can probably ignore this next 45 seconds oh real quick yeah i just we just played clank legacy this past saturday okay three hour game oh i know some of those
2: go on some of those The go on. longest Clank game I've ever played. Oh
1: yeah, I know. Uh, it was ridiculous. Which yeah. which, uh, which 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 uh, number are you on? Which game?
2: I think we're on game eight or nine. Oh wow, yeah, you're r- really up there then.
1: Uh,
0: we just resumed uh, my wife and I with the Clarks, and I think we just finished game eight. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I tell you, sometimes uh, you get done with your turn, you can go and oh, take yeah. a nap. Ooh. I mean, there's
2: one time where, I, where in between my turn they completed like four or five. Of the, the stories stories, yeah, so I mean, yeah, I could have gone and take a nap, I did go up and get some some treats for myself <laughs> yeah. and some refreshments, but yeah that that was the longest game I've had so far, and that that wasn't that much fun, yeah at, that I that's the
1: one problem with that game, in my opinion, it, I think it's still a really fun legacy game, but the way that the rules and the stories come out mid game really slow it to a crawl sometimes, but so we have been playing unlock a little bit because my son really likes those. I know that uh that you guys don't, but I will say that the ne- newest box and I'm I'm glad that they're including 3 in a box now like they were doing in in European release of that game. And the newest box that I've played anyway, Heroic Adventures, we've played 2 of the 3. This group has a video game one which is fun, uh a Sherlock Holmes one which is fantastic, I think. And Way better than Sherlock, you know the Sherlock Holmes game, and uh, you know that you put out and a long time ago. Way better than that. And then there's a Alice in Wonderland one that we haven't played, so we've been having fun with that. But Richie, listen up. I did play a game I think you'd really like by the uh, the Riddback crew. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, ben Riddle and Matt Pinchback. Mm-hmm. They now I think this was suggested from one of our uh, one of our friends on our Slack channel, Wesley. But I got it the other day. It's called Stellar. And so it's a neat little two-player only card game that's very back and forth.
2: Okay, I didn't realize that that was two-player only. I've seen it. I just hadn't actually looked into it.
1: Yeah, so it's it's interesting because it's really snappy. It's only 12 turns, and uh, basically you have this card tableau that is made up. It makes up this telescope pattern, this card tableau. And then there is um, a card row that is numbered one through five, and then you have suits of cards that are either planets, asteroids, uh, interstellar clouds. Um, moons, or black holes, and then those are all numbered in suits one to five. And so basically what you're doing on your turn is you already have two cards in your hand because you start out with it. You have two cards in your hand, and then you are playing, you're taking a card into your hand first from that card row that has the numbers on it. Then you pick one of the three cards from your hand and either put it into your telescopes. So when you put it into your telescope, if it's like a moon card, for instance, it has to sit next to another moon that's already there. So it has to be adjacent. And then those cards all have little stars on them from one to three. So those sit on your telescope cards. And then now that I've played a card on my telescope cards, I have to take another card from the card row and I have to be aware of of what number it is because the card I played down on my telescopes has that number 1 through 5 as well, and so if I played a 3 moon, now I have to take the 3 card from the card row and play it into my lab notebook. Now the lab notebook is important because you're just trying to create runs from 1 to 5 again. So that's your multiplying score. So if I get 2, 3, and 4 of moons in my notebook, then I multiply that by how many stars I have in my telescope tableau, and that's going to help my score. There's also endgame scores for majority in certain rows of of things, and then um, what they call a diversity bonus. If you have all five kinds in within your telescope, you're going to get another bunch of points. So it's really quick because you just fill up the ten or the twelve cards in your tableau of your telescope and that's it and it goes like 15 minutes but it's fun it's really it's thinky without being overly so i kind of put it along the somewhere in between parade and peep motts as far as kind of thinkiness so and it's a renegade games game and again i put it up there with uh, you know it's not as good as arboretum which renegade also has as a card game but it's it's good it's a nice little card game i'm glad that wesley suggested it because we had a lot of fun with it
2: well i like uh, a lot of their card games they have because uh, they did fleet as well right oh yeah yeah i love fleet and we also have another little card game from them which is the fire themed i can't remember it's a ladder climbing game but actually uh, pretty good as well
1: right so that's stellar from ben riddle and matt pinchback what about you clef what have you been playing
0: Oh, yeah. Been playing a little Grand Funk, re- no, Grand Trunk, Journey. <laughs> oh <my
1: God>. yeah. <laughs> Give me a little Grand uh, Funk right there. <laughs> best actor award in his high school. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did you go to school to get
2: Ed again? <laughs> Ooh, uh,
0: let's not talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I want to talk about uh, Grand Trunk Journey. Uh, this is a new game out from Spielwerk. Uh, it's designed by Claude Sorois. Um <laughs> I I apologize obviously if I if I did not say that right because I usually am so good with all my pronunciations. Um, but uh, this game is a railroad game. It is a pick up and deliver railroad game. And obviously, as you guys know, I've been really digging playing a lot of Age of Steam here lately. And so I thought, well, this is kind of in my wheelhouse. I'm in, I'm enjoying this, so we'll give it a shot. So this game is, it's not a deck builder per se, but it does have a little bit of deck building in it where, so you will you start off the game with a certain number of cards. You'll like have eight or nine cards that are in your deck. And these cards are multi-use cards. So Chad, this is, you know, something, you know, you really enjoy in the multi-use cards. Absolutely. Um, where you can either use a card for, usually for its location or, Or you can use it for its other part, which may be to store goods that your train pulls along, or it may be that you do an action with it, which will do different things like upgrade your train or make it faster or give you um, these extra bonus cards that you can get also. So there's different actions that you can take from these cards. And as the game goes along, one of the actions is you add a new city to the game, and when you add a new city to the game, you will go into your like extra cards and you'll add that card to your deck. If you're the one who finds the city, you can either put it on top of your deck so you'll draw it you know, at the end of the round or you can put it into your discard pile. Everybody else though will go get that same card also, whatever that city was, and they have to put theirs into their discard uh, pile. But what's another thing that's really interesting about these multi-use cards is usually you'll have a multi-use card and it's the same for everybody. In this game, I might say have the, let's say the Burlington card, right? And my Burlington extra ability is it might be to do an upgrade. Where Richie's on his color, it might be to find a new city, or it might be a, uh, a cart that can hold goods and stuff like that. So the cards are actually different for each player. So you might be wanting to go get a new city, not only because of the location, but because you're looking to get that action into your deck. So a little bit of a deck builder, not, vi- not much, but a little bit in that aspect. Um, otherwise, in the game, on your turn, you're always going to have two options. You're either going to play a location and then move your train to that location. When you move that train to that location, you can then either deliver what the demand good for that city is, or the port for that matter, or you can do a special delivery, um, or you can deliver goods that are not in demand, but that's bad because you lose victory points for it. You don't want to do that. So you can do one of those things. Then you basically get to uh, reload up your train, with new goods of whatever that city offers. So for instance, just to kind of talk about this, I might go into Burlington and I might have an, a iron to give to Burlington, which is what is in demand. And then they are offering, or they have for me to load back up. They might have coal. Okay. So, but however, when I go to reload back up, I'm going to need a cart that can hold coal coal some carts can only hold one type of goods some will have a split that you might have two different goods so you're going to need to you want to have in your hand when you go to a city you're going to for sure want to reload because the train can never move with an empty cart Uh, so you have to always have the cart filled so then um so that's kind of after you do that that pretty much ends your turn and then you draw back up to your to your hand size um the then there's special goods that you can deliver also, which is the other really cool part of this game, which I haven't even talked about yet, is it is all based upon time. And whenever you do different actions, like for one thing, move to different cities, however many links it takes you to get to that different city, it's going to cost you days. And there's a little day tracker on the, you know, just it's labeled one through 40 up on the top and you'll move however many days it took you to get there. And then certain actions will also cost you days, like going and getting some of those special bonus cards that cost you a couple of days. Well, the game moves along by whose ever disc is furthest back. So kind of like Croft Wagon type of game, you get that person is always the one who goes. So you might actually get a couple of turns in a row and that's also how the game ends, is the first person to pass the 36 on the days, that gives an opportunity for the game to start its its uh, ending of the game. Not necessarily does it mean you're, you have to stop, but let's say that Chad went out and he was at 38 when he went out. And then let's say Richie right now is at 35 and I'm at 30. Richie and I both have an option. We can continue to take actions until we pass 36, or since somebody's already passed 36, like in Chad's instance, we could both choose to say, okay, we're done. And we would get one point for every day that we're behind Chad. So you might think, oh, well, that's eight points. I don't think I can make eight points in whatever I'm going to do. So you might want to pass and be done, but you don't have to, you can continue to play until you pass the 36. Um, so, I mean, that was kind of a, a long explanation uh, for, for the game, but so that's that's basically it. I mean, you play a card, you go to a location and you kind of deliver a good and you want to for sure have the good available to uh, reload. Now, what I'll say about this to start with is I had a really hard time teaching this game Hmm. and I'm not sure, you know, granted, I mean, it's the first time I taught it. the, The first time I taught it was is difficult because I don't know the game very well, and I'm having to look at the rule book and check things. But I really had a hard time getting my players to understand what because one of the the one of the things you can do during the um, during the, the the option is you can discard any um, trains that are or you know like carts that are on your train. You can discard them to your discard pile, so then that way you can put out new ones. Well, to start with, your level one train will only take one cart you know, as you upgrade, you can have more carts, but, and I kept trying to be like, well, you want to get rid of that cart because you can't have an empty cart and you want to put a cart down that would take the coal or the iron or the steel or whatever the good is so that you then can then move on to another city. It's all about, it's really a game of efficiency. You really want to make sure you're never having dead moves. As I said, one of the options is you can deliver undeliverable good. you know, non-demand goods. Not only is it bad and doesn't give you anything but you lose a point for every non you know demand good so you don't want to do that so you want to really make sure that they're in demand so do you i i'm sorry if you said this but
1: does the board have variability in other words do those cities that produce different things or have demand for different things are those variable
0: they are and so you do start the game off with where you'll have four starting cities but then after that you'll everything gets mixed up or whatever. But really, honestly, there's three main goods that you're going to go to most cities that will be there. Um, It's iron, coal, and wood, okay? And you have to turn... Iron actually gets turned into cities, and then they produce steel, and then you can take steel from those cities. But only ports then take steel. So it's it's really a... It's a well-designed game on what it is.
2: So do you think that the gameplay... Just as an intuitive, like as far as like the mechanism how they work together,
0: I'm not sure. I, I I taught it again a second time just as a two player game because I'll tell you the four player game it took a little bit of time because certainly one thing it was the first play, but there's a lot of downtime because you you're not doing a lot when it's not your turn and people's turns did take a little bit. I think it is one of those things where it's just not as intuitive of you know and we're talking about a bunch of people who are playing a lot of age of steam where it's like okay, I pick this one good up and I move it here and I'm done. You know, it's not a lot of th- so this is a little bit more you know, I don't want to say it's more complex because it's not more complex necessarily, but just the, yeah, maybe intuitive. I don't know. Maybe that's that would, what it would be.
1: Maybe you need to uh, make some use of those heavy cardboard teaching notes.
0: Um, well, I will say this. For me, I think if I would have been taught this game from somebody else, I might have had the same problems. I mean, mm. it was okay. very easy for me and, you know, for I have to read rule books. I'm not a very good learner of a game um, when I just, you know, for somebody teaching it for me. Some, it, just, I, it helps for me to have rule books and read them. So maybe that's part of why, you know, it was easy for me, but it was tougher for everybody else. So you
1: sometimes, well, and I've noticed this too, when, when I teach you a game and it's not just my teaching that you sometimes check out a little bit.
0: And I do, because I sometimes I'm just like, uh, you know, something maybe isn't quite grasping me, and then I just think, all right, well, whatever, I'm just going to be and pushing just, buttons anyway. So, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have been known to uh, snooze <laughs> a little bit while Chad's been teaching a game and still come back and win. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, the game, the four-player game, and, you know, I'm curious on your guys' take on this. Um, well, let me rewind uh, just a, a night before. Um, uh, and I don't, my good friend Brent, I don't think he'll mind me talking about this at all. He brought over Imperial to teach. Okay. Now I had been taught this game somewhat, uh, once before, but I actually didn't get a full play of it. And so he was really excited about teaching this game and he brought it, you know, he starts teaching and everything. And I honestly, as I was listening to it, I was like, wow, this just doesn't sound all that exciting to me. And part of it may be that, you know, I didn't quite grasp the rules quite good enough. Um, but as we started playing, I found the actions that you're taking in Imperial to be kind of boring and, you know, just wasn't, wasn't, didn't seem all that exciting about what I was doing. Now, as the game went on, you know, certainly I started to understand things a little bit better and understood the the, the whole thing with the, the, the company stocks and everything. And I don't want to go into Imperial. But anyways, I will say this. I don't think I was a very good, um, you know, student in that case where, I think that everybody had kind of felt like, oh, I wasn't caring and kind of checked out. Um, And so that's kind of a, you know, that's a tough thing for a teacher. And then the same thing happened the next night where when I was teaching Brent, he totally was not enjoying the game. And he completely was just like, I don't care and checked out. And that's a really tough thing when you're trying to teach a game to have somebody just not. "What, What do you. Have you guys experienced that, not counting me, um, where <laughs> somebody's just completely checked out? And not only not only have they checked out, but they are absolutely seem like they are not enjoying themselves. I think that's one of my things I hate the most when I'm teaching a game, is, is somebody not happy while playing it.
2: Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree, especially if it's, like, during the teach. I think that's the worst, because it's like, yeah, I mean, even tried
0: yet play the game right yeah
2: um i and i mean obviously we've all done it at at one point in in time i try not to i try to be focused and pay attention during the teach and even if it's something that i don't think i'm necessarily going to like i i try to find some joy in it whether it's throwing the chits at chad in (laughs) forum or whatever i try to find some fun in the game while i'm at the table but yeah it it is tough and usually i mean for me because usually when i'm around you guys clef is teaching so i don't usually run into it all that often is usually with jessica that i run into it and uh, i mean this is kind of cheating but then i just give her the rule book like if she's not paying attention i give her the rule book i say read it (laughs) (laughs) just read it out loud to me just read it and we'll just and then we'll play the game and that just because she's kind of the same way if she's not if she has not read the rule book then it doesn't necessarily stick right Uh away or it doesn't sound interesting right away but if i have her read the rule book If it's a game a little bit more complex or involved game, I just, we just go like, I'll give her an overview and some of the teachers, but there are certain sticky rules. I just have her read them directly out of the rule book. Right. So
1: it
0: just
2: makes more sense
1: to her that way.
0: That's a good call. All right.
1: First, I have to say, like, I I try, unless it's it's for the podcast, which can sometimes be hard, but I try if I'm going to enter into a game, I try not to, you know, if I know, because if you're not enjoying it at the teach, it's probably because you didn't want to play it in the first place, you know, going in. That's most likely. So I try not to get involved in those situations if I don't have to. And I will try if we have more people. If if, if that seems like the problem, I'll either figure out if we can split into a group or just change the game. Because if somebody seems like they're miserable and they, or they even feel like they're going to be miserable... You you kind of have to give another option because then everybody has the potential to be miserable at the table.
0: Sure, it certainly can bring down yeah. a game night for sure. W- what if you feel miserable? I mean, do you do you feel like you should just put on a happy face, even if, or do you feel like you should speak up and go, "Wow, this game is just really not working for me"? Usually, I'll try
1: to start the game and play it right. Like like I said, if I know it's not something I'm going to like. Unless it's for the podcast, I'll try not to get into that game. I'll try to suggest different things. (laughs) I mean, we play Munchkin because my son loves Munchkin at my house. So this is different because players are a different age, right? Sure. But I try to find the fun things in that game, and then you know, and then I'll we'll play that way. You know, I'll try to find what the fun in the game is of itself. But like I said, if you if you already know that you're not that you're not going to have fun, it's best to not say yes to that because it is going to affect everybody. I think.
0: Right.
2: Yeah, I try to avoid those games. Um, but it, I mean, if it's like an hour, hour and a half, whatever. Right? If someone really wants to play it at the table, I'll, I'll play it and I will. I'll, I'll. You know, I'll have a good attitude during the game. I may talk about the game afterwards, but. If it's a short game, like the second game I ever played with Chad was Flapjacks and Sasquatches. What was that? Sasquatches and (laughs) Flapjacks? Yeah, that's right. That was not. And neither one of us wanted to play it. Nope. (laughs) We didn't really know each other at the time, but we both kind of looked at each other like, you know, how can we get out of this? But (laughs) We ended up playing whatever, and you just have fun with what's at the table
1: and and who you're with. Right. Cause sometimes right, exactly. when you end up doing that, cause it was somebody else's card game that they wanted to get us into. And I knew like, I already had sat down at a table with Richie. So I knew if all else I was going to enjoy Richie's company probably. Sure. So that's what happens. I think sometimes in those situations is you end up playing something you don't like with people you do, yeah. you know? Right. And so that can save a game sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think for myself, I was, you know, a good thought is whenever you're playing a game and if if you are, even if you don't enjoy it, you got to remember that's somebody's favorite game. I mean, you got to think. Every game out there, there's got to be, well, maybe not every game, but there's a lot of games out there that are somebody's favorite game, and you don't want to ruin that experience. And I think that's, you know, I know we talked about gamer flaws a while back, but I think that's one of those things that I really need to watch myself because I can all of a sudden just feel like, oh, my God, this is too light or too random, and this is just not a lot of fun. I'm just not enjoying this and I can find myself maybe not wanting to try my best or whatever. And I think that's, as a gamer, I've got to make sure, and as a spe- you know, especially as a teacher, I know I hate that feeling when somebody just does not, uh, you know, and it's not necessarily even, sometimes you don't know it before the game starts. I mean, you might think, oh, this game sounds really fun. And then you get into it and you're like, oh, my God, this, this game is terrible. And unless, you know, I mean, there's been some games where, I luckily am playing with somebody else who's been like, oh my God, this game is terrible. And so at least then we can quit. But if you're playing a game with somebody who wants to play it, yeah, that that can be tough.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you can ask, right? You can say like, okay, does anybody want to keep going? I'll play it. If, you, if, if people want to keep going, I'm happy to play it. But if right. you guys want to be done with it, I can do that too. You know, so you right. kind of take the temperature of the table. But another thing that the way you just brought this up that's kind of interesting too and i was thinking you were going to go a different direction with it but when somebody checks out while you're teaching and it's not necessarily because they don't like the game but more just because they're they're checked out like it's hard to engage them with the rules at the table and sometimes what i'll do in that situation is i'll give them pieces to put out on the board to do an example, so I'll I'll give them something to kinesthetically that's involve call. them in yeah. the in the gameplay or the example if I can, if I can, sure,
0: just to try to keep them engaged. Yeah, that's a good call. So,
1: well, that was a good uh, that was a good question though. I'm yeah. glad you I'm glad yeah. you brought that up.
0: All right. Well, speaking of games that nobody liked, let's uh, go have a re-review of uh, <laughs> Thunderstone <laughs> Quest. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is our wait somebody's favorite game out there okay sorry
1: (laughs) we reviewed thunderstone quest a little over a year ago by mike elliott and aeg and clef do you remember
0: what you gave this this game when we oh, reviewed it? Oh, I definitely do. This was uh, definitely a one for me. And, you know, this is one of those type of games where it's just not for me. So it's just uh, I had a miserable time playing it. But it, once again, if you like deck builders, I don't like deck builders. If you like dungeon crawls, I don't like dungeon crawls. So everything was just not in it for me. I don't have, you know, this game might be great for other people, but for me, it's going to remain a one. It's a game I haven't thought about, talked about, wondered about or anything in the past year. And, and nothing's going to change that about it
1: It's actually appropriate that we talked about what we did before this look back. Because I remember this play at Richie's house very vividly and how miserable <laughs> you were oh. even during the beginning and the teach of it.
0: Oh. <laughs> this, this was an experiment gone bad of us trying to do this game.
2: Yeah, I can't disagree. <laughs> uh, and here's the thing. I like deck builders. I like dungeon crawls. And I, and I so I bought this game because there's actually there's a lot of uh, people that I listen to that like this game. It was like one of their top games of that year. Right. Uh, so when we said we were going to review it, I just went out and bought it, uh, sight unseen. And it just left the collection uh, maybe about a month ago. And I tried to, even after we reviewed it, I gave it a three initially. Even after we uh, reviewed it, I tried playing it again with jessica and my biggest issue with this game is how the game in trigger of having to go through those decks it takes forever it's way too long for what this game should be and i would rather play hero realms or star realms like that's what deck builders should be it should right? be quick boom boom boom, get your deck built up and play and uh, i and i'm shocked that because we went back and listened uh, to what we gave and i'm shocked i gave it a three because After even trying to do that, I was miserable trying to sort the cards so that I could go trade the game because there's way too many (laughs) cards. So I just threw everything back in the box, and I I sent it that way, and I just let the guy know. I was like, look, I'm not sorting this. So so (laughs) I got to join Clef on this one because I was miserable uh, in my last play of it and miserable trying to get rid of it.
1: Yeah, even my now 10-year-old, he was nine at the time, he said, he literally said, "This game is too long for what it is." Yeah, and and I and I have Smirt to agree. Kid. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. So, uh, I I recognize that some people really like it, but I just don't. If I wanted to play like going into a dungeon, uh, you know, and that, and that kind of stuff, I'm going to play a different game than that. And if I wanted to play a deck builder, I want it to be faster, like Richie said. So I can't believe. Okay, here is my first score that I was way off on. I gave it a 4. A uh, 4. And I, and and I will say I I'm am, I'm am lowering it to a 2 as well. I I you know, like I said, I was just way off on this game, I think. I I wanted it to be better than it was, and it just it it's the sin of too long of a game for what it is. Hmm. But we did post it on our guild, and it's not Yo, a kind of punch, bunch type of game for the most part anyway. Uh Richie, why don't you read what Joe Froystad had to say? <laughs>
0: I'm 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 uh, all ears to hear what Joe had to say about this game.
2: So Joe said I haven't played and don't have any desire to try it.
1: That just sounds, not in my wheelhouse
0: <laughs> that sounds what i would think joe would say about it <laughs> but
1: mean meanwhile uh wesley vandenberg who's one of our uh, punch bunch and, and interacts with us quite a bit he said it's probably his favorite market deck builder instead of a trench deck builder he mm-hmm. calls star realms uh he calls star realms a trench style and, oh, and dominion sense. is a market style right yep
0: okay i got it
1: but uh, he said, the thing that really bugs me about the game is the point scoring at the end. The game is perfectly suited to inject some creativity into the end game where the guy who beats the dungeon wins. But no, we're just collecting points along the way. So he he's not really into it. He says he'd give it a very respectable four out of seven, but his better half would put it higher. So... I I mean I guess he it's one of those games that he plays sounds like a little bit more because his his better half enjoys the game hmm. so
2: okay he right. he
1: he likes it he finds the side quests cool and stuff but he he even he says that the game is too long for what it is and there aren't a lot of ways to mitigate getting wounds so you have to deal with them and lose momentum and all those kinds of things so yeah in the end I think most of the punch bunch either didn't play it or sided with us in that it was either a A mediocre game or just not one that's in our wheelhouse
0: yeah yeah we we, we'll stay away from those type of games from now on (laughs) (laughs) promise (laughs) all right but speaking of a game that would be up the punch borders alley and probably the punch bunches alley we got a little kickstarter corner chad what do you got for us
1: Well, this is a really appropriate Kickstarter for today because it has to do with the game we're reviewing. So we're going to talk about 18 Chesapeake a little bit later on, but this Kickstarter is for 1822 from Scott Peterson All Aboard Games, and it's designed by Simon Cutforth, and it takes place in Great Britain. Now, just, just for some background, you can go and check this out on a heavy cardboard playthrough uh, because it won their game of the year that year. I think it was 2016 and, and basically it's, it's got that, it's got that 18 XX goodness that we like so much, but the auctions really kind of interesting. There's some Eurocentric, uh, Pieces about that, and then you have really exciting stock rounds and bidding wars. Um, you can experiment with some investments and and things of that nature. So the stocks play a little bit bigger role than they might in some of the other ones, and and maybe even more than uh, the title we'll talk about today. So that's why. 1822 is really interesting to me also there's going to be a lot of variability in this kickstarter because you're going to get this nice new edition and we'll tell you probably later on that the all aboard games edition of 18 chesapeake the new newest kickstarter to come out has has pretty good production certainly for an 18xx it does but this is going to include some double-sided scenario boards as well as the regular edition board and you're going to get i think the the private companies in this have twenty-one private companies with special powers and thirty minor companies. So there's a lot of variability in this game. So if you know, if you only are somebody who like, and and you can definitely do this with these games. If you're not an eighteen XX collector, you know this might be one of the games you want to get because now you have the system that you can just play with for a really long time. Gentlemen, sounds pretty good.
0: Yeah, I mean, twenty-one private companies. Yeah. with special powers. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm I'm interested. Okay. Yeah. Color me intrigued. So that is
1: 1822 from All Aboard Games. The Kickstarter ends on June 29th. This might be one of those things where you you go in with a bunch of other buddies. I think I'm going to try to do that because you get a deal on shipping with your copies, basically. And then... The price on this Kickstarter is $120, so Ooh. it isn't cheap. But like I said, if you're going to go in, you might w- want to find some copies to ship with. So, Or you might just want to have a friend who buys a lot of <laughs> 18XX <laughs> games. I'm glad uh, Chad's here. <laughs> <laughs> but that is
0: 1822. All right, guys. Now it's time for our featured review of 18 Chesapeake.
1: 18 Chesapeake is a two to six player economic game that puts the players in the shoes of 19th century railroad barons that run the railroad companies in the Chesapeake, Ohio River Valley. This game is built on the 1829 slash 1830 system that's founded and designed by Francis Tresham. So players win the game by having the most money in their personal capital and stocks at the end of the game. The game ends when the $8,000 bank is broken or someone goes bankrupt. So, much like most of the systems, 18 Chesapeake is played in rounds that alternate between stock phases, which players can buy, or sell stocks to get money or become presidents of various public railroads. These rounds alternate with operating rounds in which they can run any of the railroads that they are presidents of. This is done in steps. So the first step is to lay a tile or track from their home station. Then they can drop another station. Then they are allowed to run their route if they have a train. So when they run their route, they are going to take a train and run it as far as it'll go, there are two trains, three trains, four trains, five trains, six trains, and diesel trains, which run unlimited. Those numbers mean how many stops you can make. So you're running through cities that are open to you. Then you will pay or withhold earnings that you've made from running your trains through the stations. And each city or town marker that you go through or all those tiles that are out will earn you income based on what what tiles you're running through then the last part of that step is to buy trains so you can see it's kind of interesting because you're going to buy trains after you can run your company so in the first round after you have a company it's going to fall in stock value because the first round you won't be able to run it you'll have to buy a train first anyway these operating rounds become longer as different phases of the game occur which are sort of dependent on higher level trains being bought and track being upgraded these rounds are played out, as discussed, until somebody goes bankrupt or the bank breaks. That is the very high overview, and we'll talk about some more specifics that 18 Chesapeake does in contrast to some of the other titles when we talk about gameplay. Gentlemen, art and components of this 18xx game. How'd you feel about the art and components, Richie?
2: I like them. It's a it's a clean-looking board, and I didn't even realize until after our last game that on the back side of it is, is that the original on the back side of the, I like believe the
1: original, it's, original. It's, it's it's more of a nod to the sort of you know very stark and bright colored tile design gotcha yeah i, I like the
2: components especially compared to older 18xx games that i've seen it's got that nice little crab now is that crab in the regular game? Or is that just a Kickstarter thing? It you think? was a
1: Kickstarter upgrade, but I don't know if he's going to include it in that. You'll have a card that's the priority deal, but a lot of times the, these games have a special priority deal marker. And what Richie is talking about, for those listening, he is talking about the there's a little wooden crab in the game, and when you go to the next stock round, you will have the priority deal marker if the person to the right of you was the last one to make a move either buying or selling stock in the stock phase. So it just means you get to go next in the next stock round. But a lot of these games have different ones. Like Clef and I are getting 1861 slash 67, which is a Russian and a Canadian railroad game. And so the priority deal marker, I believe, is a big wooden bear to kind of symbolize those two. So
2: nice. But yeah, overall, I think they're pretty good, especially for an 18xx game. Very clear, very easy to see everything out there.
0: Uh, I, I, would, I would agree. I mean, you certainly are not playing an 18xx game for the art or the components necessarily, but I think they did a very nice job. I would say more what I would talk about art and components wise would be more iconography and just understanding of the game. And I think they did a really nice job of that. I mean, it's... It's fairly obvious of where you can place tiles. And, you know, it's uh, once you kind of understood where like those private companies, like it would have, like these hexes are blocked off for those and stuff. Once you realize that, it was fairly under easy to understand. So I would think overall, I would say pretty excellent job for an 18xx game. Well, what did you think, Chad?
1: I, I love the production. I'm really happy with this production. It's easy to get out and you can show it to people who just don't even play a lot of games. And it fits in line with some of the other you know, modern board games that we have that really uh, have up their production style. So, you know, nobody's going to say, "Ooh, that's really ugly or this is really cruddy components or and something that's really interesting. Some people really complained about 1846's thick tiles, which I always thought was kind of weird. They didn't like that. They were too they like they thought they were too thick. Um, because you have to put all these tiles in the box and you have to balance them and all these kinds of things, you know, in trays. But I thought the thickness for this game was a little bit thinner, but it I now I understand it was just the right thickness to get everything to fit in the box. It doesn't crowd it, it it'll it'll sit nice. So um, they got that right as well. So I thought that was that was a nice touch. So
0: Goldilocks will really like these
1: tiles. Yep, perfect. Okay, perfect checking. for Goldilocks. Right, get- I, I will say too, the rule book I thought was really Was done really well and was done with the intro 18xx player in mind because it gave some really good examples of tile laying and and why you can lay a tile this way, but you can't lay it that way, which some of the other games don't explain quite as well.
0: Uh, yeah it seems like that rule book would have been really helpful when we first played the game
1: uh- <laughs> well there are a lot of uh a lot of issues going
2: for okay. us to get our plays in on this one right
1: yes this was hard to to meet to get our plays in but i will say the first time i brought it to play i forgot the rule book on my nightstand so we had to pull it up and we didn't we didn't have the actual rule rules and that made it a little bit more difficult to navigate but all in all i think the rule book was was very well done
0: well, that's good because I would think um, for somebody who is trying, you know, wants to get into 18xx and maybe they don't have somebody who can teach, that seems like very important because if you've got a tough rule book to understand and you're trying to play an 18xx game, that can be tough. So, But you said this one, good. Somebody who's never played an 18xx game, you feel like this would be a strong, good one for them to get.
1: I can honestly say that I think that it it goes really well. I think the only confusing thing in my mind, and it wasn't as confusing for me because, you get it in 1830, and we'll talk about this more in the gameplay. But it, this is a pretty this he adheres pretty close to the the standard of the genre 1830 by by Tresham or 1829 if you're talking about the the first game. But it, it adheres pretty closely to that. And at the beginning of the game, there are private companies which have a waterfall auction. The waterfall auction, because we don't have a lot of those in other games, is a little bit different. And so once Speaking
2: of waterfalls, before we leave components, it's pretty resilient to water as well, falling from a ceiling. So we might as well get that out there.
1: That is true. I have had water on this game twice. Once from Clef's ceiling and the other one from a cup leaking. So, And Clef was pretty salty when I had to just like... One arm swiped the whole board off the table. He was like, yeah, I, "I was trying
0: to win." <laughs> <laughs> I probably it would have lost. Flip. Still, but yeah, yeah, I think it was
1: a complete
2: flip. I wasn't really oh, like I was, wasn't looking that way at the time. I was looking to my uh, right, and then all of a sudden, I just see pieces and the board yeah. so, fly. Uh,
0: real quick, I'll 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 give the whole story here. So, something happened with my dishwasher, and I don't know. It wasn't working right, and I wasn't draining. Didn't think anything of it came back downstairs and where my dishwasher is, is unfortunately right above where my gaming table is downstairs. So we're starting to play, you know, we're having a good old time and we're deep into it. And I'm like, Oh boy, I mean this, I'm I'm enjoying this. And then all of a sudden you just hear this little drip and then, boom water starts coming down and we're moving the pieces out as fast as we can and all of a sudden you just see chad's hand come in and just like i mean this is lightning speed gets that board and just flips it i mean (laughs) if you've played on uh, tabletop simulator and you flip the table that's about as fast as it happened (laughs) and that game was out of the way about as fast as you possibly can richie's over grabbing a big old grabbing a trash can to go and put the thing to grab the water and oh it was i mean it wasn't a good night but it was entertaining
1: Sure. <laughs> it was a mess. It was a mess. Yeah. So this stuff uh, held up well—the card stock and stuff to to water. So that was good.
0: So A plus for water on game yes. components. Right. <laughs> but but back to that waterfall
1: auction. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty unique in that uh, as as the play goes around the table, you can put a bid on any of the. I think there's either five or six private companies you can put one bid on then somebody else uh it can go around the table and they can get that top company the one in top place for face value or they can up a bid somewhere else on one of those companies for five dollars and if you were choose if everybody chooses to pass for the whole round then the top company goes down by five dollars it's very interesting but as long as somebody starts to take a company at the top for whatever face value, then they go to the next company, and if there's a bid on it, they that person who has the bid automatically gets it. If there are two bids on it, they automatically go into a bidding war, and you just keep going down. If the next company doesn't have anything on it, then the next person can either get it for face value or place a bid somewhere else, and it goes and goes and goes. But it's just... If you're not used to that kind of an auction, it's a little bit different. It is interesting because w- what we're talking about is when you take a private company, it usually dovetails very nicely with the public companies that will be up for sale in the stock market on the board. And so part of learning the game is figuring out which private companies go well with public companies. The The interesting thing is one of the private companies is called the Cornelius Vanderbilt, and that is a president's share, President share meaning 2 Two ten percent stocks together, or twenty percent of the stock of a railroad company, right there. So you're getting, uh, you're buying into a public company right away.
0: So, uh, Chad, and before you move on, I'm just, I'm curious because we probably have a lot of listeners out there that have never played an eighteen XX game, and it's even new to us. I mean, tell me just, I mean, in the, you know, the dumbest terms, how do you, what is an eighteen XX game? What basically, how does it work, and how do you play it? So, like I said, you're really buying stock in these companies and
1: you're trying to make money out of them. One of the things we've talked about in the past, you have your personal money and your company's money. And that's an important aspect in 18xx. It's also in City of the Big Shoulders. Right, right. Okay. So you're trying to run that company, or at least squeeze money out of that company, right? You may not run your company the best way. There was some interesting interaction between the two of you in our last game where, you know, you were trying to figure out whether Richie's going to stick you with a company or you're going to stick Richie with a company that doesn't work, but you're always trying to make that money work for you on the stock
0: market. Okay, so you're basically, you're buying stocks and you're trying to run a company and you're trying to just make money out of that company. And then so overall, ever I mean, one distinction, I mean, when we say 18xx, we're really referring to the fact that there are a lot of games out there that start with 18 and then have a different year behind them. Or even now, you know, maybe it, like this one is 18 Chesapeake. But they all do the same thing. They're almost all train games. And really, it's all about buying stock, running companies, and then just trying to make the most money at the end of the game. Would, I mean, would that be the dumbest way? I mean, yeah. I don't I, I don't want really to say dumbest, but the most simplest way to try to explain that.
1: Right. There are a lot of nuances to it, but essentially, that's what you're doing. I don't always want to say run good companies, because like I said, you might trash a company to make money off of it and stick somebody else. Right. But yes. You're just trying to make money. One of the things when I started getting into 18xx and even with some of my plays when I was teaching, you kind of forget that you are sticking money in that stock market. You want it to be able to work for you as soon as possible. So when you're buying into public companies, you want to remember that you hope that those companies are the ones to run their routes, basically. Because like I said, when you run a company, you can either pay or withhold your money. So that's an important distinction, too. Like I said, there are a lot of nuances to this game because a lot of times you are deciding whether you want to pay out your money, which is going to give you more personal money if you have a lot of stock in that particular company. But it also will give money to the players that have stock in that company because generally you're going to want to invest in other people's companies at least a little bit. Also gives you leverage over them because you can you can mess with them. You can sell their company or they can sell your company and now your share price drops. So that's another aspect. You're playing around with people's companies by dumping shares into the market.
0: Yeah. And I, and you kind of alluded to this earlier because it, the, the unique thing about this game is you, you can try to all of a sudden make a company very bad and try to dump it on somebody. And so when Richie and I had that unique um, moment where in our game I, I had a company that where i messed up on my trains and i was not going to have any trains mm-hmm. and i could have went for just not buying a train for it and i could have uh, like dumped off the stock during the operating or excuse me during the stock round but unfortunately richie was the first person to go in the stock round not, so
2: not unfortunately so, for yeah, me yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah not unfortunately <laughs> for you so i had to go with a different route so that's you know it's uh i think that's a a lot of the gameplay In the game, would you, I mean, Richie, would you agree with that, that it seems like there's where a lot of the game is in in that stock manipulation?
2: Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to try to have priority deal if you can, if you can try to work that out just as far as try to keep buying and try to keep pushing it around so that it hopefully ends on the person right next to you. And then you, you really do have to watch the other companies to make sure that you know if you have what two shares in a, a company you can get that dumped on you so if you need to pay attention to see what they're doing with that company see if they're actually running it uh, in a way that it's going to be profitable if not then you may want to try to sell those shares and use that money to buy something else so yeah you, you definitely that that's definitely my favorite part of the game is is the stock round as far as managing that
1: right One of the things that's really nice about 18 Chesapeake, too, is that it comes with a uh, sort of a shares or dividend payout board, so it does a lot of the math for you if you really look at it. Also, if you're buying into companies, you can see how much the last round of each railroad paid out, so then you can kind of see what you're buying into as well, which is helpful.
0: Yeah. Uh, Going back to art and components, that was one of the best components that was out Mm -hmm. there because that was really nice because... Unless you're uh, Joe Farrell and you can do, uh, you know, multiplication up the yin-yang in your head in like two seconds, it was really nice just to look over there and, and see that. Richie talked about some of the
1: interaction, and we should talk about this before we go any further. You'll hear it if you listen to anybody talk about 18xx games for any length of time. There's something called the train rush, and that is how fast you push trains, because trains in this game can rust, and that's important because if you have a company where your trains rust, they rust out because people have bought trains further from it. So let's say I buy a four train. I I think, if I remember right, the four trains in this game rust the twos. So if I have a two train and Clef has two two trains and I buy a four before Clef starts his operating round, his twos automatically rust. And now he's on the hook because he has to buy a train his next run. He absolutely has to. And if his company can't come up with the money, then he as the personal president of the company has to delve into his personal money and his stock money to come up with the money for a train. And when we're talking about the higher level trains that gets really expensive and it can cause a person to go bankrupt, which in this game is harder because it's a, you know, it's it's more friendly to newer people.
0: Well, and the other thing with the train rush and the thing that got me in hot water was you have a train limit also. And to start the game with, it's four trains. And I was really hoping to push right away and try to get into the three trains. And so I bought like like three or four or two trains right away. And then you both only bought one. And I was like, what's going on here? Why are you not <laughs> buying more trains? And it really hurt me because then when it came time for me to be want to buy, you know, I could have bought a three train to be able to keep that company going strong. I was at my limit. And when you're at your limit, you can't do anything until those trains rust out. You can't just simply say, oh, I'm going to just ditch this train. You're stuck with it until it rusts out. So that's a that's a interesting aspect of the game too, being real careful of your tra- how many trains you have.
1: One of the reasons you wanted to push two trains in that beginning was because you had a private company that let you build a tile near the public company that you had built into. But you couldn't use that private company until you sold it to your, your public company. And those private companies aren't up for sale until you get to the three trains. So that's why Clef was kind of doing that to push it so that he could get that special ability of the private company right. into his public
0: which company. which that company was like humming to start with because I did have four yep. trains and yep. it had a bunch of different routes it could run. And I mean, it was you know humming right along. But unfortunately- You know, once those two trains rusted, it really hurt it and then set it back real far. So that's a real interesting aspect of how, you know, do you want to try to run it really well early? And like, and as we've spoke about, if I would have, if Chad would have had priority deal, or I would have, I would have not bought a train for that thing, and I would have dumped it in a second to Richie because I would have sold. And when I say what I mean by dumping it, is I would have sold off my shares except for my president's one so i would have only had 20 percent of the company and richie had three uh shares mm-hmm. i think it was yep. three shares so then he would have had the majority of the shares so i actually would have literally given him my president's certificate and the company and anything that it has with it or it doesn't at the time and he would then give me two of his basic shares back and now he would be in control of that company and you would think most of the time oh well that would be a good thing but if you've really made it a bad company and it has no money in it and you're stuck with this really crappy company, that can be really it's uh, set you back tough yeah, it can Definitely. really set you back. So that's something about that game I really thought was interesting. I mean, yeah.
1: One of the other things that you can do in this game, too, if you have multiple companies, is you can do what uh, what the professional 18xxers call suitcasing a company, which means you're really just using the company to, to shuffle money and trains back and forth. Because you can buy a train, your company can buy a train from another player or from one of the companies that you own as well as long as it's a dollar or more. So you can, you know, if I have four trains in one of my companies, and let's say I want to get a three, and I already have four trains, but my other new company doesn't, I could sell one of my threes to that company for a dollar or more, depends on how much I want to have in Mm -hmm. that company, and then I can get my three train into that company at the same time. So it's win-win if you do that kind of correctly and plan for it if you can.
0: I, I think an interesting aspect also is in this game, it, it, Richie, I would agree with this that in the beginning, you're kind of trying to get all that money out of your company when it, you know, because when it floats, you you get all the money immediately. You're kind of trying to get the money out of that company into your personal, so you can buy more stock and have more options. But as the game goes on, you got to be real careful because you need to start getting money back into that company when it comes time to bu- yeah, build those you, bigger trades. You
2: definitely. Starts to run out pretty quick, and and the reason I didn't buy that many trains at the beginning is because one I, I had only one one private company out of the uh, waterfall auction, and so I wasn't going to be able to get a, a you know to buy that to give myself a, a large chunk of cash. So I wanted to try to, to start off with more money than I normally would in my own uh, personal and par at a higher price on in the company, so that the company would start with more
1: cash in there. So and when Richie talks about par, that's another thing. You're basically you get to list the starting price of the company and in the initial offering. So there were two, there were three, just like City of the Big Shoulders, there are three uh, spots that you can par a company at. So you can par a company at $70 a share, $80 a share, or $95. And you're just trying to figure out in the beginning, based on how much personal money you have, how many shares that you can buy to have you know, at least six shares. Sometimes somebody else will help you float the company. You have to have six or six shares out on the table for the company to float. And so you can't count on somebody else necessarily doing that. So if I'm going to do that, I need to make sure that I pick a price that I can buy six shares of within that round. So that, that again, the money starts that I'm investing in the stock market starts to do its work for me and I can get more influx of cash.
0: Yeah, I I think, and, and i'm not certainly i'm not an 18xx expert and i'm sure there are one people are out there that would be able to do all kind of crazy things but at least well i think when you're starting off when you first start getting stock in a company, I think you want to try to have it float. I don't, because I remember you had one company where you just bought one share and then it just kind of sat there and you didn't do much with it. Now, I don't know, maybe you were doing that suitcasing thing. What? You're, those are words that I'm not uh, familiar enough with to be able to work with. But um, at least for me, I didn't start buying a new company until I knew I was going to have enough money to um purchase all the shares so i could get it going as fast as possible now no
1: unless you are buying somebody's company that already floated it's usually not a good idea to buy shares and have it sit there and not float because it's money that's tied up that's not doing anything for you right so but yeah i i will echo what clef said please if you're listening and you're a seasoned x18xx player we already apologize we're trying to come at this from very new to the genre i've played i played two or three other 18xx games but by no means are we at all you know seasoned players this is from a very fresh perspective (laughs) if you would have seen my route building in the last game that we played (laughs)
2: you you know i have no clue it it was
0: was probably better than tramways
2: (laughs) yes actually i think it was but i mean really it had the same effect it went nowhere it did nothing
1: (laughs) now now richie since we're talking about route building, um, and you're our interaction expert, there are ways in this game, when we come to the route building, to to do some stuff, to have some interaction out on the board, right?
2: Yeah, and I kind of, I mean, I screwed Chad a little bit, I think, towards the end, and luckily this was... Uh because we ended up with me and Chad ended up with three companies is that right
0: yeah I think three or four by I the end remember. of it and three you both had three and I had two you had yep. two yep.
2: yeah so my one company that was just kind of no one else had invested in it I really wasn't doing much with it uh, I I was trying to connect it uh, to Ohio or one of the other large uh, cities to get some money at least start generating a little bit more money out of it uh, but I didn't and Chad offered the the tile management manifest or whatever i just kind of waved them off and i said I, i'll figure it out i'll be fine but of course the tile manifest tells you what it can actually upgrade to yes uh, so i ended up making a route that i could not i needed to upgrade a tile upgrade it to a certain tile when that tile just didn't exist on that tile manifest yep. so that route just ended up sucking but luckily Ro- chad was <laughs> was anticipating me actually being able to connect that and that didn't work out for him but yeah. And luckily it was just kind of my throwaway company. But
0: Well, well in, in uh, the town tiles or the, the divots, uh, you can't upgrade those things. So you're just stuck and it's like, oh, man, when you're trying to run a four train and it's like, oh, man, I got one more spot and I'll make an extra hundred <laughs> bucks. And that stupid divot is in the way for ten dollars. It's like, yeah. God, get it's out of my way.
1: Yeah. So the so the so the dits are small town stops <laughs> and they are they get in the way. So if you have a three train. It doesn't pay you very much money, but you still have to count that as a stop on your three train. So it's just a piddly 10 bucks or whatever and, until you move on to the next city. So, yeah, we curse the dits all the time.
0: It, it, until you get to the diesels, and then you're just you fine go. with the dits.
1: <laughs> so... I will say one of the other interesting things in interaction, and you you might hear this a lot too, is that with your stations, because they're tokens, you can do what's called tokening people out. And that is a big place of interaction too. So in these cities, there's only so many spots uh, for your station because you want to run trains out of different stations to make more and more money for the company. So if you have like three three trains, you can only run them so many ways out of a station because you can never go over the same track twice, which we, we haven't said yet, but you can't go over the same track. So you're looking at trying to find different ways to run over different pieces of track. So these tiles can be upgraded for bigger cities so that you can place more stations on them but it's a possibility that in the meantime you can lock people out of cities so their route might have to stop right there and they can't go through it anymore because now they they can't get there's too many station tokens
0: right but i remember richie and i were talking about that during the game but richie was like yeah but if i do that I'm also kind of screwing myself. So there's kind of an aspect of you could lock somebody out of a route, but you could also be hindering yourself also where it may not be the best spot. So definitely, I mean, that's one of the great things in the game is trying to decide where is best places to try to put those. Because one thing that we really haven't talked about at all is how when you first start the game, you lay yellow tiles out on the board and those are your track and those are kind of basically the the basic tiles and as the game goes on which is how the the trains will kind of press how it goes you're going to get to the next section which then you're going to be able to put out green tiles and those green tiles are actual upgrades for the yellow tiles so it will give you not only more money when you upgrade these towns but it will also start to give you as what you're kind of talking about chad options where you can put more stations into those towns where before maybe only one station could go there. You can upgrade it and you can now, it might have two spots and then eventually then you move into uh, Brown and then you start to upgrade with Brown tiles, which then can even have more, uh, more routes out of the city, more, you know, more spots to put stations and such like that. So that's another interesting aspect of it where in a game like, um, you know, like in a normal track lane game, like maybe even Age of Steam, I mean, you can upgrade tiles in that. But for the most part, they're the same type of tiles, where in this, you can keep making them get better and better as you go along. Yeah, I, I think that is another great aspect.
1: I think have, having talked about all this and and you kind of segued into it, we should talk about variability like we usually do with these games. So,
0: I mean, I would assume that it's going to have tons of variability because depending on which company that you take, where you start your routes... Um, which private companies you get at the beginning of the game. Um, I feel like, you know, it. the game has lots of different variability. Now, I will say that I am a little worried as you maybe, I don't want to say master this game, but if you played it a lot, you might kind of figure out what the best routes or the best companies or just kind of what the best moves are so then it could come a little bit scripted but certainly for me and as a newbie as i am into the 18xx world it seems like it would have great variability every time that i would play it
2: yeah and i I would say i have the same concerns like right now i don't know what i'm doing anyway so every game is new but since the each company starts in the exact same spot it's if you play this a lot and you you know, master the game, it seems like, I mean, there has to be a best route. Now, obviously, people can mess that up with how they are laying their tiles and all those things. Uh, But if you, you know, like I said, it, it could become scripted like you were saying, Clef.
1: I think the interaction messes with some of that a little bit because if you see somebody take a private company, you're like, no, I'm going to make you pay for that if you're taking that private company because that's a good one and I see where you're going to start and I see what other company you're gunning for and if you do that, then I'm going to do this. Or if you go that way, then I'm going this way. So I think there's enough interaction in the game where, yes, if you get a certain company, you're going to want to try this, but you have no idea what the players at the table are going to do to combat that. And I think it's very well... Thought out that way, so I, I think the variability is is moderate to moderate at least in this game.
0: Replayability? Uh, I mean, for me, replayability right now is you know is still very high because once again, it's so new to me. Now I, I know I've heard people that have played you know eighteen forty six like hundreds upon hundreds of times. So obviously, I mean, some people out there think it has great replayability. Uh, for me, I, I don't know if I really got good at it and really new, would it still be that you know when when that variability kind of loses its its edge for me mm. does the replayability just be kind of become the same game you know i'm buying stock i'm running the route you know okay let's see who did the best job this time type of thing so I, I don't know that's a tough one for me to say at this moment on my limited number of plays if i think that it's got enough replayability in it
2: yeah it's tough to say it, i would almost just say like as a system. 18XX, yes, as as good replayability. Because I would think, I mean, more. I mean, obviously, since you once you know one, you kind of know them all a little bit. You just need to know the the different rules that are changing. So, I mean, I would almost, I'm kind of cheating a little bit there. But I would say, because like, if I'm going to play another 18XX game, I'd be like, well, let's try out a different one for the replayability sake of it.
0: Right. So, certainly, we're talking about 18 Chesapeake as this review, but certainly, I mean this still is the 18xx genre so i see what you're yeah you're kind of saying there richie
1: and i felt like the more that i played the game the more i felt like there was replayability into in this game so i felt like the more that you play you start to see oh okay now i see that i could have done this to you two turns ago and it would have really U turned your strategy now i see that so i think that Like I said, it's one of those games that the more you get into it, and I I feel like too, because I bought a bunch of 18xx games, and like I said, I've only played, I think this makes maybe my third or fourth, but now after playing this a few times, now I'm like, wow, I could really just sit and play this a lot more and explore, you know, rather than go crazy with all these other 18xx games that I need to get, because just delving into this, there's plenty much more to explore. So I I think replayability
0: is high. How about we talk player count next? Well, I mean, Richie and I are both in this exact same boat. We've only played it three player, uh,
2: so well, we I, have a four player game that might end sometime this year. Uh, maybe
0: <laughs> I can't even. I mean, we've barely done anything. I couldn't even tell you what companies I have or anything, but um, but for the most part, we've we've only played it as a three player game. So it's hard for me. I know Chad, you've played it two player, so you'll be able to talk about that in a second. But um, I have played other eighteen XX games. Um, at higher player counts. And I guess, honestly, for me, I really actually enjoy the three-player. For one thing, you start with a little bit more money at the beginning, so you have a little bit more leeway, I guess, and you have a little bit more opportunity to run companies as opposed to if you got a higher player count, You know, you might only get one company at a time, or something like that, in those higher player count games. Now, as with Chesapeake, I can't can't say anything because I haven't played those uh, there. But um, I don't know, Chad. What was your two player experience?
1: So I played at two, three, and online. I played at four, Uh, and so I've I haven't played at five and six, which is also what this plays up to. But I would say, of my very limited knowledge. The two-player game in this is really, really interesting because the president shares, instead of being 20%, because you can't do anything with a, with a railroad unless you have the president's share, so you're always getting that, but the president's share is 30% or three shares instead of 20% or two shares like it is in the higher player count game. The other thing is once that company, that public company floats at 60%, all the remaining shares go into the bank pool. And people can still buy shares out of that bank pool. But if you if you go to buy a share that isn't of your company from that bank pool, another share gets kicked out first. So let's say that there's one share in Richie's company because those shares that sit in the bank pool also earn his company money when he runs and pays out. So if that share's sitting there and I buy a – or I go to buy a share in Richard, Richie's company and I'm not the president – It'll kick that one share out before I can even buy it. So it, there's some really interesting interaction at the two-player game. Time-wise, for the because I know on the box it
2: says was it like three and a half to four hours? Is that the the time? It that says they say? two and
1: a half to three and a half is what the box oh. says.
2: <laughs> okay, never mind.
1: I have <laughs> never experienced that. I would like it to be that way once you're really <laughs> experienced, and maybe it is. I we've never gotten close to that clef and clef will get into it too but clef and i were talking through one of our plays once and we kind of figured out you can within a little bit of sitting and thinking at the table you can plan what you want to do on your turn so that you're really ready especially during those stock rounds to make it move pretty fast however at the lower player counts you're gonna have more companies so you can have at a two player game, you might have four companies and then the other player have four companies. And then based on the stock market, the way that it works and where your companies sit, I could have four of my companies go or three of my companies go. And then, i'm sitting there and then the other player has all four of their companies go and then i have my last company so there can be some downtime there and you're having to sit and plan for each company whereas i feel like at the higher player counts you can plan and have your turn ready a little bit more and it actually makes it go a little bit faster i say poppycock
0: i I don't faster what do you mean by faster Faster I mean make the game go faster. I mean, you're saying five hours as opposed to five and a half hours. I mean what I I guess out of every 18xx game I played, they're long, no matter what the player count is. I, I guess I just don't see it being that much of a difference when you're talking about the t- I mean the time that you are going to invest in this game. It's still long, no matter what. Yeah,
1: I think it's still a longer game. I would say you. Can, I I believe that you can get this game down to three and a half. I haven't experienced it yet. I've gotten I've gotten down to four, and that was at the four player game playing all online. But and and that was actually a play where you can get the diesels. The diesels didn't come out.
0: Well, okay. I'm just because one thing we have not talked about with with Chesapeake when we're, we're talking about time here of the game, Chesapeake helps speed the game up, right? Because it. To begin with, every time you go back into a stock round, it removes a non-permanent train from the from the pool out of the game, so it tries to help speed the game up, because right. that's really how the game gets to moving. Correct. Um, and we were all very concerned on the fact that the first, and unfortunately the first couple of times we played it, we didn't have an opportunity to finish it just due to the length, obviously. We were all very worried it was going to take a long, long time. Which our game that we finished, we we found out once it kind of gets rolling and you're in the diesels, it it gets moving pretty fast. Yeah. But when you're talking pretty fast, you're still talking four, five hours. And I guess so my, my biggest question that I've always wondered, and I mean, you know, this is what Richie and I were saying, is it worth it? I mean, is it worth it when you can play, you know, City of the Big Shoulders in, you know, a couple of hours, you can play a game of Age of Steam in an hour and a half, is an 18xx what more does it give you to make it worth that time now i'm looking at you chad i would say just one let's take just one
1: decision just one the the decision to withhold or pay out is 10 more times interesting in this game, than City of the Big Shoulders. Right, it is an agreed, agreed. automatic decision usually in City of the Big Shoulders. Agreed. There is way more interest in, do I do this? Does my stock fall? Where is it going to go in the turn order? Where, Who's going to be before me? Do I have to, how much more do I have to buy out? Can I shuffle stuff between companies, which you can't do in City of the Big Shoulders either. You can't move stuff in between companies, so there's less manipulation of that. There's a lot there's a lot more intricacy uh, of the interaction. Sure, sure, and but I is, definitely think that that's worth it to me. Absolutely. So, so the
0: time is worth it for you to for for that for that experience. Okay, and I'm not saying it's not worth it for me either. You know, it, this is just I think if you're thinking about getting into 18XX, and obviously, you, I'm talking to our you know to the Punch Punch, and if they're thinking about this, that's one thing that we really have to talk about because the time commitment for these games is a long time no matter what your player count is it's gonna be long i mean maybe if you are playing with you know because i mean we played that game of 1830 at six players it still took us seven hours and somebody went bankrupt i mean you know so it's gonna take you a while no matter what
1: right but 1830 this is again it's meant to speed it up by exporting trains also the more you know what you're doing the more The game says you should push trains. I mean, that's kind of what you want to do in this game. So the more you know, the more you push the trains, the faster the game goes.
0: I don't know, guys. Are we ready to put a bow on this and give a little rating here? Yeah, they've heard enough from us, so let's do it. All right, Richie, tell them what that wonderful punch board rating system is.
2: So in Punch Board Paradise, we rate on a six-point scale with a one being a game that makes you miserable and a six being a game that can make your top ten of all time. Clef, take it away.
0: Okay. So uh, really for me, I, I enjoyed this game. Um, I, I liked, I like the buying of the shares and I like the trying to figure out w- which ones I'm going to purchase and then what I'm going to run for the trains. And uh, uh, to start with, I'll say I really liked this game. I, I like the, you know, I like the stock manipulation. I like the buying of the trains and trying to figure out which trains you're going to buy and then having to worry about if they're going to rust. I really like how early in the game you're trying to kind of get your money out of your company into your personal so you can buy more stock. But then as the game goes on, you are you really do have to think, boy, should I withhold or should I pay out because uh, I, I need to be able to purchase trains later in the game? And kind of trying to figure those things out. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I would say at this moment, at least, it was my favorite of my plays of the 18xx. And I think partly now, I'm starting to understand it uh, much better. It's more uh, getting to be in my wheelhouse where before it was way, way off where I even understood anything. So I think as I continue to play, and I want to still continue to play more 18xx games, I think it will start to become more easier for me to understand because now I have the the basics and, and I understand, and even since I'm sure I am terrible at laying out track and, you know, trying to figure all that stuff out. But as time, hopefully I'll get better. So I liked that aspect. I biggest thing about this is, is it worth the time? And that is the question that I'm always going to say about an 18xx game. Is it just going to be where I would rather play um, you know, a game of Age of Steam, or you know, you know, and I'm not comparing. I'm just saying, or a game like City of the Big Shoulders that I know I'm going to finish in a certain amount of time and still get the enjoyment out of them of that type of aspect of either the track lane or the stock building or stock buying and stuff like that. And I- I'm going to say at this moment, I want to explore more. It's I think this is going to be one of my toughest ratings because I just I, I hate rating something when I really haven't had a long time to really invest in it and try to find out exactly what it is. So this is gonna be kind of off the cuff here for what I'm thinking. And at this moment, I'm, I'm gonna go is a four, all right? And easily I think this could move up to a five uh, after you know after playing it more. And heck, I could see in a year's time, who knows, maybe this moves up to a six and it becomes, you know, the 18X games become some of my favorites. But at this moment right now, I give it a four. And I think most of the reason I give that that four is I'm not sure that I always want to invest that much time in the game when I feel like there are other games that are going to give me that for for less time. Okay. So, love it i mean if chad right now said hey i want to go play it i would absolutely play it but i i I don't know right now if i'm still at a point of hey i want to teach other people and get it back to the table so that's where i'm going to be at i'm going to throw it in as a four so chad what do you want to give what do you give this well i think that was a
1: that was a good fair honest assessment actually and i i would uh i would say so here's what i think because i hear Clef saying a lot you know I don't know if I like this better than City, you know, because it does some of the same things. Is it worth the time and investment like City is? And, and some of those things, which is, again, for our listenership, a, a fair assessment. I think I might say if you like the worker placement aspect or the drafting tiles aspect most of City, then maybe you don't need to play this game. If you really like the Arkwright ish, Uh, run your company, manipulate the money back and forth, worry about your stock price, the production, that sort of thing, then it's worth dipping your toe into and finding somebody who can play it. Now, the other thing I want to say really quick is that this genre gets a heavy-duty label put on it. And I think, honestly, that this game is at least as easy to learn, maybe... Easier to learn than some Vital Asserta title titles, actually. And shouldn't be as intimidating. There are things that we don't get to see as often in board games that are newer, that can feel like a step or something... But I think that overall, there is less to get a handle on in in this game than some of those Lacerda titles, which I I still enjoy. I am excited to have this title. And like I said, even though it's supposed to be a beginner 18xx, because of the two-player variant, because uh, that there is so much in this system that I enjoy, I am really looking forward to it. I've taught it to people that have only played six other board games ever and really enjoyed it and so i'm i'm really excited to get more play out of it and i'm gonna get a give it a five right now it's it's an exciting game for me and it's it's gonna go up there right now in my in my top of the year nice
2: nice richie and it's also a tough rating for me because i enjoyed my plays of this if you asked me if you're interested in 18xx should i try this game i would tell you yes because this was this was my first 18xx game and it was easy to get into, uh, even though Chad didn't have the rule book the first time. It was easy <laughs> <laughs> to learn the game even without that. And, uh, and I did enjoy my plays. I enjoy what's going on there. I definitely enjoy the stock portion of 18xx more than anything else in the route building. That doesn't interest me as much. And I, I, I don't know how I love the – because I know, like, you can get to a point where you can just math it out, where you're not really upgrading tiles anymore. You're not doing anything like that. You can just kind of math it out, and that it makes it go faster. But it – I don't know. It just seems a little anticlimactic way to end the game, and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. But I am still interested in 18xx. Um, man, I mean, I'm in between a 4 and a 3.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Here's the thing. If you're interested in 18xx, I would. I can't do a split rating, can I? Uh,
0: no. <laughs> no, you can't.
2: <laughs> Here's the thing. I Like me personally, I'm not going to go out and buy an 18xx game. I'm glad Chad is. And I'm glad, like when you talked about 1822 and the special powers, I'm interested in that. I'm glad that you, you're buying that. I'm excited to get it to the table when you get it. But there will probably never be an 18xx game in my house, most mm-hmm. likely. Kay. Just because I, I wouldn't pull them out. I'm going to play them with Chad, and that's who I want teach me the game so it probably it, i gotta give it the three it's gonna come in at a three for me but like i said if you are interested in 18xx i would definitely recommend that you check out 18 chesapeake
1: well there you have it punch punch it gets a four from clef a five for me and a three from richie that is 18 chesapeake from scott peterson and all aboard games still got a couple things left on the docket though and one of those things you left off in the intro clef you
0: you bit it hard in the last draft <laughs> i mean you nosed uh, I the I picked some some different games i knew that it would probably not be a good draft for me i, I think
1: it was good cuz we all picked some games that we don't usually don't usually pick which was kind of awesome and uh but yeah yeah so i i, I won yeah. richie wasn't too far behind but yeah you yeah, I so lost. You, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm willing to say it. That's I'm, no problem. I, well, okay. All right. So I'm glad. So so then, uh, Richie, you got your timer out?
2: No, I was looking up the percentages. So oh, Chad good. came in, he took 50% of the vote. Nice. I nice. took 36.8% of the vote, and Clef came in with 13.2% yeah. of the
0: vote. Hey, I, I understand. I picked some titles that we usually don't talk about on here and that are a little different, and I'm I'm more than happy to take whatever you're about to give me, Chad. So Good. bring it on. <laughs> All right.
2: So I just and I'm going to you- guess you're not going to let him talk about
1: You want to talk about the tacos? <laughs> talk about tacos. I can talk trip.
0: about the tacos a little more no. or Eurotrip. You
1: want me to talk no. about Eurotrip? Oh, you know, okay. Get the timer out. Okay. So we're, we're going to talk about why, Clef is going to tell us why it's better for the Punch Bunch to trust his ratings one year later than when he first gives it.
0: Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I got, I got to think about this. I have to do what? I have to say why they should trust my rating a year afterwards as abo- as opposed to when I first rated it. Yes,
2: yeah. And you get one minute?
0: Sure, give me a minute. All right, I'll take a minute. All right, you tell minute. me when you want to
2: start. Okay. Actually, just start talking, I'll start the timer.
0: All right. I, I will admit that sometimes when I first rate a game, maybe it is not, Always going to be correct. I certainly would say that, uh, you know, I first played Age of Steam, I didn't like it very much, or um, certainly when I first played Root, it was not my most favorite game. And some of these games have now moved their rating um, a little bit uh, higher as we have moved on. But there are times that you can trust my rating, as in Thunderstone Quest, which <laughs> you both now realized was not as good of game as when you rated hey, it. Hey,
2: I still gave it a But, thought.
0: yeah, all right. Um, all right. <laughs> I definitely admit that sometimes my uh, my views change, and as I change as a gamer, um, yeah, not always am I going to be 100%, and why one of my challenges is to replay games that maybe I didn't like as much when I first played them to find out if they are maybe better than what I initially thought and there's my timer. All right.
1: Wow, that that kind of backfired. That actually m- made me like Clef more.
0: Don't, <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. Don't let me talk about tacos. And, right? I'm good. Yeah. will <laughs> just Thunders- keep losing drafts.
2: Let's <laughs> <laughs> say with Thunderstone Quest being on this episode, that might have, uh,
0: the that helped, might have me helped out a, him out bit. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Hey, my Black Angel one's not going to change. Yeah. My mm-hmm, Forum Trajanum's not going to change. <laughs>
2: All right. So if you would like to participate in these polls that we have up, that kind of decide who gets punished at the end of an episode even though it's backfired the past couple episodes <laughs> you can go check out our guild uh, guild 3227 on bgg if you have any questions that you would like to ask us you can shoot us an email at punchboardparadise at gmail.com that's also how you can join the slack if you would like to kind of chat with us in real time and if you would like to help support the show we do have a patreon which you can go to patreon and look up Punchboard Paradise or go to punchboardparadise.com uh, to support us there. And mentioning Patreon, we would like to thank our two new patrons. That's Ernesto Jimenez and Scott Chrisley. Thank you, fellas, for supporting us. We truly appreciate it. Uh, and anyone out there, obviously it, during these times, if you can't help us out, we definitely understand that. Rate, review us wherever you can rate and review us. That helps the show get eyes on it and it gets new listeners. And, uh, for those that are kind of on the fence about joining the Patreon, Ooh. we are going to be doing a giveaway here pretty soon for our patrons, Ooh. and we're going to be giving away a copy of Scythe. Ooh, of Scythe. So, if you're interested in that and you want to get in on that giveaway, like I said, go to Patreon and look up Punchboard Paradise and come
1: support us. Hey, I got a game for you guys. We haven't Ooh, done one of those man, in a long time. It's like been, to been end a while. A, wow. I like to end the episode on kind of a fun note. So... What I'm going to do is we're going to do the Board Game Geek Top 200. And I am going to read a few, couple to a few sentences in the description of a game. And the first one to name that game gets a point. All right. We're going to try probably five of these. And the the first one to get the most points is going to get an ice cream bar.
2: So this is the description, like at the beginning of a
1: rule rule book or whatever, where they... It's not a... Yeah, it's it's basically in the description on BGG. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay all right so here's your first one guys
0: right, do, do we just say the game or do we buzz it do i have to buzz in is this like we a never Jeopardy did
1: thing? get buzzers we should have we should we have, have buzzers, right buzzers, this is yeah. what's this low rent stuff come on
0: we got a patreon i think now. i we got some buzz i might have like a copy of taboo or something in <laughs> back. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know, like, okay, right, we'll be ready for next time okay all, all right. right well so what am i doing am i going I, am i going oh i got or, no, an answer, buzz. or? buzz is clean okay so just say buzz
1: buzz yeah okay okay right. ready with modular boards, programmatic command lines, and a story-driven campaign, each mission will be unique. Buzz, Buzz. it was me.
0: <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> well, it was
2: me, or I'll edit it so that it sounds like it was me.
0: Okay, <laughs> it's you. <laughs> it's going to Richie.
2: Max versus minions. Wow, yeah, yeah, that was
1: good. I had it too. Really, that's I had really it good. too. Okay, Richie got it, uh, but you were right on it. So good job, guys. I didn't know you. I didn't know you'd get that one that quick. Okay, good. All right. So here's your next one. Team up or go it alone in a one-to-four-player co-op or solo campaign. Your adventure will consist of eight to 12 battles before you reach your final destination and face off against one of a number of kingpins in order to win. This game takes everything you know about dice rolling and turns it on its head. (laughs) I have no clue. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. A a, a hint. A hint? Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'll give you another here we go. I'll give you another I'll I'll give you the the first sentence. I'll blank out the title. You ready? Blank comes loaded for bear by breaking into a new genre, the Dice Builder RPG. Oh role player? Oh too many bones. Yes, Richie's got it. Two what? points. <laughs> you <laughs> pick uh, games that we play? <laughs> no. <laughs> I got to make these challenging hey, here. I got it. I, I don't even it. know
0: what too many bones yeah, is. You, you wouldn't know what that game is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, all right, all right. Here we go.
0: So if Richie gets this, he gets the ice cream bar. i, I got to come back and get the next three here.
1: Yeah, there you go. You can do it. I, I believe in you. <laughs> yeah, if you pick something that's not too many bones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, honestly, he has kind of tilted this my way because... I mean, Max vs. Minions, although you have played Max vs. Minions, but that's
0: still a long shot. Yeah, (laughs) yep, I agree, yeah. He's a little salty because I, you know, turned his uh, punishment into a (laughs) a good thing for him.
1: Okay. Steam-belching iron horses roar across the wild plains. The cutthroat action is centered on the industrial powerhouses of the growing nation, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Chicago, and beyond. Each self-contained phase in the game keeps players constantly involved in making vital decisions and interacting with other players. Blank allows towns to be developed into cities. Buzz. Age of Steam? Yep. Richie got it.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: you got blanked. Yeah. Do you want we'll go We'll get one more. I I feel bad for his morale. We're going to get one more that's worth a couple of points here.
0: This really goes to show how bad these descriptions are on (laughs) PGG. That's
1: part of it.
0: I mean, Rado's complained about these forever, and uh, maybe I see now.
1: (laughs) That might be part of it. All right, let's see here. Players randomly draw spells to see what they can get and can play each turn. Although this limits your choices, there is a lot of strategy in how you play those spells. A robust list of game mechanics, including intricate rules for reactive card play called the stack, provide rich tactics and tough choices each turn.
0: All right, everybody. Have a good
1: night. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I have no idea. All right. Well, I'm going to give it away right here. This is the grandfather of the collectible card game genre. Magic Buzz. the
0: gathering?
1: Yes. didn't Buzz. Buzz Magic <laughs> the gathering. I
0: can't even even when I get it I can't get it. Right. <laughs> All right.
1: Well, hopefully at least you got a good laugh out of that and uh you thank you again for listening Punch Punch.
0: All right everybody, have a great night.
1: Thanks for listening. Punchboard Paradise would like to thank our loyal listeners as well as the publishers and designers that have provided review copies. You can find us at punchboardparadise at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Punchboarders. We are on Instagram at Punchboard Paradise and Facebook at Punchboard Paradise.
0: Do